You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Okay, good evening, good evening, good afternoon. You see, I feel like you see, talking about after a different time zone. So give me a second. Uh, let's just let some people in here. Okay, good afternoon, and today we'll be talking about uh, the Torah reading of Pinchas. Pinchas has in it telling us the count of the Jewish people, where God counts the Jewish people probably, I think it's the last time before they enter to the land of Israel. There's a whole new generation of Jews that are coming into the land of Israel. Their parents are the ones that died out in the desert because of the sin of the scouts. We then come into the division of the land of Israel, and then to the story that we're going to talk about today, the daughters of Tzalafchad. Once, <clears throat> oh, thanks. on a time when the, in honor of the Rebetzin's birthday, the Sheikh Chabad, the women of Chabad, brought a bouquet of flowers to the Rebetzin in honor of her birthday. And attached to it, they put a letter of many different people that asked for a blessing or participated in this bouquet, that they should have a blessing, asking for a blessing from the Rebbe. The helper in the house took the bouquet and gave it to the Rebetzin, and he took the envelope for the people of the blessing and put it aside for when the Rebbe comes home. When the Rebbe came home, he gave him the envelope of the people's names for a blessing, to which the Rebbe responded and told him, he said, you can give it to the Rebetzin, she can also give blessings. We live in a time where the feminist movement, which started in the 60s and the 70s, is coming to the fore in all many different ways than one, and sometimes to very extreme ways in many different types of shapes and forms. When the Rebbe spoke about the whole concept of the feminist movement, the Rebbe spoke that in the time of the coming of Mashiach, it's going to be Eishas, Chayla, Teres, Baila, where you will see, so to speak, the greatness of the woman over the man. And therefore, the Rebbe then encouraged that women should study Torah, but at the same time, women should be active in teaching other women about Judaism and what their obligations are and so on. But at the same time, we have to remember the restrictions and the limitations and what the halachic ramifications of it mean, which sometimes come to a very interesting question. At what point can we say, maybe we should evolve? Or at what point do we say, well, we demand that things should change. How do we demand it should change? Should we demand a change? Or should we let things just go on the status quo and say this is the way it was many years ago? There's a very famous saying that especially many Hungarian Jews use because it comes from the Chasim Sofer. Rabbi Moshe Sofer used to say, Chodosh anything new is forbidden. Or do we say, no, we can affect change and we should make things change and so on. When can we have that argument and that complaint and say, you know what? Things have to evolve, things should change. We find, so to speak, a difference, and we find this in the Torah, where sometimes people complained as to the way God was, so to speak, giving judgment, and because of their complaints, the law changed. At other times, because the people complained, and where did they end up? In the ground, like Korach and his people. Or like the spies that complained, and they ended up dying in the desert. So where do we see why is sometimes the change accepted and why is sometimes that demand not accepted and what would be the difference of it? So with this we come to understand an interesting episode and probably the first of its kind that's mentioned in this week's Torah reading. In an episode where we talk about a story of the daughters of Tzalafchat 
five girls, had no brothers, single spinsters, if you want to call it, already over 40 years old. And they're coming to Moshe with a complaint. Why is it that we don't get a portion in the land of Israel? What's their complaint? So their complaint is that according to the laws of inheritance, only the boys inherit and not the girls. And of course, that's a very an interesting subject on its own, that the very fact that boys only inherit, the reason is because usually the women are obligated to be supported by their husbands. And we don't want, we want every allotted portion in Israel to be uh, considered and part of each tribe. So therefore, each tribe was supposed to stay to their tribe by keeping, because the tribal went by the father, petrolineal. So therefore, the inheritance went petrolineal. This, the allotted portion of land of Israel, stays with the tribe. Because if it's going to go by women as well, then you'll never have a tribe having its allotted portion of land. And the whole purpose of the vision of the land, that everybody should get an allotted portion based on what their needs are. But the question over here is, what's the argument of the women of Tzalafchat? Why don't we get a parcel of land? First of all, the laws are, boys inherit, girls don't. Secondly, and even more so, who's the one that inherit, who's the one that's getting the land? The father. Your father's not here. Why should he get any land? Just because he died without children. He died how many years ago? 40 years ago. Now he's not here when we're separating the land. So he's saying, our father died and he didn't get land and therefore we should get his land. But he didn't get any. So what's your argument? Then you continue to see their argument and what do they say? Our father died. He didn't get it and we want to get his land and he wasn't amongst the people of Korach. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to buy off Moshe and say, ah, our father wasn't against you. We're on your team. So therefore we should get the parcel in the land of Israel. But then look at Moshe's response. He also looks feeble. They come and complain to him. The daughters of Salaf had come. What does Moshe do? Okay, we're going to ask God what to do. But Moshe, you don't know the halacha? You don't know the law? It's a simple law. Boys inherit, girls don't. What was his problem? So our question over here is, what was the argument of the daughters of Tzalafchad? Where was Moshe responding to their argument? And what was really going on over here? So first of all, we have to remember, and this is a, one important caveat or underlining message that we have to remember, is that the daughters of Tzalafchad were not arguing that they want the halacha to be changed. God forbid. They were not saying, Moshe, this doesn't apply. We want to find a different way. Reform or conservative the type of law that they wanted. They wanted within the realms of halacha, they came to, the, uh, to the Moshe. And over here it's telling us that the story of the daughters of Salafchad is teaching us that God is not about dictatorship. It's not this is the way it is, tough luck, jump in the lake. Every single law in the Torah has a rationale, has an explanation. And if a person feels that they are, so to speak, missing out within the realms of halacha, there's a place for every single person. And there, this is what we're going to look at in today's Torah reading and today's story. So let's look at the story a little deeper and we'll get a better understanding of what's happening here. And like this, we'll be able to understand the question, the back and forth, and the discussion that happened. So the four, the, for 40 years, the Jewish people are wandering around the desert. Finally, they're coming to the promised land that Moshe promised the Jewish people they can enter the promised land of Israel. God tells them this was the whole reason of why you came out of Egypt was to make it to the promised land. And right before they come into the land of Israel in this week's Torah reading, 
the Torah has to start dividing, you're going into the land of Israel, and real estate comes up. Who gets this land, who gets this land, who gets this parcel, and how it's going to happen. So in chapter 26 of this week's Torah reading, we find the names of each one of the leaders. Every single person gets their uh, property. And there were three different methods of how it was divided. Number one, it was a lottery. Number two, it was by the voice of God. And number three, they went by size of tribe. Rashi explains how all of them worked out. They chose a lottery. The voice of God announced what was in the lottery. And the lottery happened to pick out according to the size of the tribe. So if you had a tribe of Yehuda who was a very large tribe, they got a large parcel of land. A tribe of Dan who may have been a small tribe, got a small parcel of land. Then there was also the quality of land. Some people had by waterfront, some people had oil in their property, and each person's property was also allocated depending on what was in it. Then while all this land is being allocated, all of a sudden drama starts. What's the drama? These five sisters come along and say, what's going on? Our father died. He was not part of Korach's faction. He was not part of the scouts. And therefore, we want part of our father's land. Whatever would have went to our father, we want to be able to get it. The Medrash tells us that these women, they were not just troublemakers like in the past, different people, but they were actually righteous, holy women. And they came with a complaint and they said, Lomo Yigora, why should we lose out in our place in the land of Israel? Now let's remember for a moment, as we mentioned, these women, they were older women. If they would have been married, they wouldn't have had a complaint, because they would have been part of their husband's property. Some commentaries even want to say that they were not married, that they didn't get married, because they were already in their 40s, because they wanted to continue their father's legacy, and hopefully get a parcel of land. If they were to be married, they would have no argument. So the concept of a woman inheriting again, is because she is part of her husband's property and therefore she doesn't have any marriage, she doesn't have any obligations, while the husband has obligations to support the wife, the children, and so on, therefore he has the laws of inheritance. Today's day and age, just as a little side note, today's day and age is different ways how they work out inheritance that even the women get, that the, everything's given already before life, it's put into a trust, so therefore the laws of inheritance, and when a person gives something when he's alive, then there's no laws of inheritance, because it's no longer an inheritance, it was given before they were alive. But in the Jewish law, even until today's day and age, technically speaking, the women don't inherit. There are obligations, for example, if there's orphans or there's a widow, that the, in those that do inherit have to support them. But that's a separate discussion for laws of inheritance for a different time. But what we have over here is that you have the daughters of Tzalafchat, five sisters from the tribe of Menashe, whose father died about 40 years ago. And over here, they are still spinsters, as we mentioned. And they're looking to see how come we don't get a land in the land of Israel. They want to be able to get part of their father, whose name was Tzalafchat, get his part of the land in the tribe of Menashe. Now, as we mentioned, the reason why generally women don't get land was because of tribal reasons, that they don't want the tribes to mix up the land, because we just mentioned that there are three ways how every tribe got their land. If it were to go to daughters, then it would mix up this whole system, and then we wouldn't have everybody getting according to what is needed. But what happens with these women? How do they approach it? Now you have to remember, these women are not coming in a demanding way, saying, wait, tooth, wait, what's going on, and making protests. They actually first went in a system of hierarchy. And we know that the way Moshe set up the judges, that first you went to the lower court, and to the higher court, and you came to Moshe, if there was a very challenging problem. And the same thing over here, actually, the Medrash tells us, that the daughters of Tzalafchad, 
they are unique that in fact that the people of the generation that left Israel, the women, never had any part of all the different arguments that the Jewish people had, the women had no part of it. For example, one of the reasons why women are given the holiday of Rosh Chodesh is because the women did not take part in the sin of the golden calf. The Torah says, Aaron tells them, take off the rings that you have in your ear. And who took off the rings? The men, but not the women. And then it comes later on when it came to the story of Korach, Om Ben-Pelas' wife actually discouraged Om Ben-Pelas from partaking it. Came with the scout, it was the men, not the women. And that's why we look today, how we have to rectify it. There's always men that have to rectify it, and that's why a minion's with men, and all the different things, because all the problems of desecrating God's name and not believing what God said throughout the ages and throughout the time of the desert was all the men, not the women. The same idea over here was when the Jewish people came and these women, these five sisters came and asked for a place in the land of Israel, they actually were not asking as a complaint or as a, to try to counter what Moshe says, but on the contrary. They were doing it to be able to show the love that they had for the land of Israel. Because if you look at when they came to ask it, if you think about it, if Tzalafchad passed away 40 years ago, when he died, they should have came to Moshe and asked the question then. Why did they wait 40 years to ask the question? Because this is right before the Jewish people are about to enter the land of Israel. Right before they're entering the land of Israel, there were some Jews. In fact, the Talmud says there were Erevrav, some still mixed in Egyptians, some still left over that were not died out by the spies, who started getting cold feet. What happened was the clouds of glory disappeared because of Aaron was there. The Canaanites started attacking the Jewish people. Of course, the Jewish people won. But there were certain Jews who decided, well, this is not for us, let's go back to Egypt. And they started going, turning back. And you can see it in the words of the verse that it tells us that they started going back. What happened was the Levites realized what was going on. They chased these people. They wiped them out. There shouldn't be any other discouragement for any other Jews. And therefore, there was a, still a certain sense of fear of going into the land of Israel. What did these girls come about? And they said, listen, one second. The Jewish people are still afraid to go to the land of Israel. What can we do to prep up, to show excitement about the land of Israel? We're going to demand a place in the land of Israel. So therefore they came along and said, Hey, we left Egypt. Are we going to get the land of the, a parcel in the land of Egypt? So what they did over here was, you see very clearly that these women are the daughters of Tzalafchad. Number one, they themselves intent was to only follow the law. Not only follow the law, follow what Moshe tells them is the law. And their intent was also to prop up the appreciation and the love and desire and excitement for going into the land of Israel. That's how special these women were. But now let's go back to their case. What, the, what was their argument? And they come along and they say, listen here, it could be all wonderful that they want to prop up the excitement for the land of Israel, but the question is, do they have a case? I can be excited about something, but if it doesn't belong to me, tough luck. So what was their case? So their case was, as we mentioned, they want to get their father's property. Whatever allocation their father was supposed to get, they should get. The problem is, the father's not around anymore. And there's an interesting debate in the Talmud. Who really was, how did they allocate the land to the people of going into Israel? Well, did they go by the people that went out of Egypt? Or did they go by the people that were going into Israel? What does that mean? So take for example, if you have a family, where one, member, one family member has one son, and another family member has ten sons. Now the fathers, they're equal, they're brothers, right? But the fathers now died because they were from the earlier generation. Do you go by the fathers 
and therefore they should both get the equal amount of land? Or do you go now by the children, where one brother is going to get one parcel, and the other brother is going to get ten? Follow. So the question over here is, who did they go by when they considered the people allotting of the land of Israel? Did they go, go by the families who originally left Egypt? Or did they go by the people that are now entering Israel? And basically what the, we find the Talmud says, at the end of the day, we did go by the people who are entering the land of Israel. So, so the question becomes even greater, if we're going by the people that are going into the land of Israel, what do I care what your father was? Bottom line is you're a woman. You have no right to the land of Israel, why, or at least to inheritance in the land of Israel. There is no law of inheritance because your father didn't get anything. So what's your argument? What is their argument? Not only that, Rashi continues to tell us, they come to complain, they come to Moshe, and what's their argument? How do they make their case? Our father died in the desert. He was not part of those who complained against of Korach. He died in his own sin. What does that mean? What's your case? So Rashi explains, saying, he was not part of the spies that he didn't deserve to go into the land of Israel. That means he deserved to go into the land of Israel. He was not part of the people of Korach who made a, tried to make a coup against God and Moshe, but he died in his own sin. What was his own sin? So there's two opinions. Rabbi Akiva says his sin was that he was actually the one that collected the wood on Shabbat and then was killed because he wanted to show people the severity of Shabbos. Another opinion is that he was from the people that were called the Mapilim. Mapilim were after God told Moshe that the Jewish people are not going to be able to go into the land of Israel because of what happened with the scouts. The Jewish people all of a sudden said, no, 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 we want to go. And there was a group of Jews that decided they're going to go. The Canaanites killed them. And he says he was from those people. But at the end of the day, what does it make a difference? What does this make their case stronger or weaker? That Rashi to explain to me and tell me what sin he was in. How do I care? What do I care how he died? Bottom line is he's not alive. He doesn't deserve an inheritance. So you don't get an inheritance. He lost his plot. Even more so, as we mentioned earlier, what was Moshe afraid of? To the extent that it says that Moshe forgot the halacha. What did he forget? What happened to Moshe that he forgot it? So if we look at the actual questions that we have, helps us understand what's going on over here. The very fact that they mentioned the people of Korach helps us understand why Moshe forgot the law. What does this mean? If you realize, this is the second time within two weeks that we're reading, but also very close to each other, that Moshe forgot the halacha. Last week's Torah reading, the Midianite princess is seducing Jewish people. A, a uh, tribe, a leader from the tribe of Shimon goes and has an affair with this Midianite princess. And all Mincha says, what are you doing? How are you allowing this to happen? If a person does such an abrogation in public, he's deservant of death. Moshe, why don't you kill him? And Moshe became all flustered. And he says, the one who read the letter, let him read, the one who read the letter, let him do it. And Pinchas goes and kills them. Where was Moshe? Moshe didn't know the law. But there's an interesting common denominator between these two cases. In both of these cases, Moshe had a bias. In the first case, what was the princess of Midian and the leader, of Zimri, leader Zimri of Shimon saying? What's wrong with marrying a Midianite princess? Moshe married a Midianite. 
Ah, you're going to go to explain because that was before the Torah was given. He converted her. Ah, excuses. So whatever Moshe would answer in that case, he would be guilty of. If he says you're allowed to, ah, I'm allowed to because you did it. You're not allowed to, so why did you do it? So Moshe had a certain bias. Moshe couldn't answer. And therefore Pinchas had to be the one to step up and actually kill them. Because he had a certain bias that they can say, you're saying this answer because of what happened and what you did. The same thing is also when it comes to these to the episode of the story of why they have to mention that Korach wasn't part of that he wasn't part of Korach. It's because over here what they were saying was our father had nothing against you. The moment they brought up that their father had nothing against you, Moshe said, one second, you're bringing up a personal thing? That means I should have some type of bias towards you because my father, because I had nothing to do with it? Or your father had nothing to do with me? I can't be the one to judge. It's very interesting when we talk about having a bias or sensitivity towards something, we never realize how sometimes certain things we can have a bias when we don't even realize we have a bias. And over here, this story reading tells us the concept how we have to be sensitive that sometimes even a perceived bias is something you're not allowed to be part of. For example, the Talmud tells us that when they would make decide if the year should be a leap year, add another month of Adar before Nisan, before Passover, there was the whole Sanhedrin had to decide. The whole rabbinic tribunal of 71 sages had to decide if there should be a new year, if there should be another month. There were two people who were not allowed to be part of that decision. The king and the Kohen Gadol. Why? The king, because if there will be an extra month, he has another month to pay up all his, to pay all the, because he would pay at the end of the year, all the soldiers and everything else. This gives him an extension of another month. So he has a bias. But he has to pay an extra month. No, but he has, but he has another month to pay. Doesn't matter, he's going to pay 12 months. It's always the same year. But he has extension. The Kohen Gadol, if there's an extra month of Adar, what happens then? When does Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur come out? Closer to October, it's colder. What is Yom Kippur, where does the Kohen Gadol stand? On a tile floor, it's freezing cold. If it's going to be in October, it's going to be colder. If it's going to be in September, it's going to be warmer. He might decide not to do it because he wants to have a warmer thing for himself. So even such a sensitivity, which you think about a different degree, how much different is it from September to October? Still in all. Because he can have a limited bias, all of a sudden he has to step back. That's why you'll notice something very unique. When Korach came along to Moshe and said, Hey, who made you in charge? Who made Aaron in charge? It wasn't about Moshe, it was about Aaron. What did he say? Okay, stand right here. Let's see who's going to win. But when the daughters of Tzalafchad came along, and the daughters of Tzalafchad said, But our father wasn't part of Korach. All of a sudden, what does is, what is, what is Moshe say? And he gave the case over to God. I can't judge. I have a bias in this here. That's just an interesting thing here. But then when you come over here and you see the daughters of Salafchad, what are they coming? What's their complaint? Their complaint is in the name of halacha, in Jewish law. They were not looking to negate Jewish law. They wanted to complete Jewish law. They wanted to analyze Jewish law. And therefore the Torah tells us how did they actually come to Moshe? They went through the hierarchy. They first went to the lower court. Then they went to the higher court. Then they came to Lazar. Then they came to Bezdin of Moshe. That means all the Jews, they weren't doing it to make a show, make a demonstration and bring all the Jews. 
But they went to every level and everybody said, you got a good question, I don't know what to do. So therefore they kept on going to a higher court, a higher court until they can finally get. What's the problem? What's the situation here? And what was their argument? Their argument was when God took the Jewish people out of Egypt, He made them a promise. The promise was you're going to bring them to the land of Israel. It doesn't make a difference how many years went by. It doesn't make a difference who's alive, who's not alive. God said, I'm going to take you to the land of Israel. We didn't get it. Where's our land? Where's our spot? Ah, you're going to say your father's not alive. It happened 40 years ago. He says, no, our father was not part of the spies. Meaning the spies in itself shouldn't affect our nature. The very fact that the spies made a complaint and we had to wander in the desert for 40 years shouldn't change the reality that God promised us to get into the land of Israel and get a part of Israel. How come we can't get a part? And therefore, they had to bring up their father. They had to bring up the story of the spies and the story of Korach. So like this they're saying, ah, you might say, your father lost out. No, my father didn't lose out. He didn't die with the spies, of Korach, with the spies or with Korach. He just died without children. And just because he died without sons, because of that, what should it be his fault? Why should he lose out in getting a parcel of the land of Israel? God's promise is for eternity. God's promise was for every Jew, even a Jew who no longer is here, that they should have a part in the land of Israel. What they were showing is that when God says something, and when a tzaddik, when something is given to a Jew, it's not limited for that amount of time, but it goes on for generations. The words of a tzaddik are eternal, the words of God are eternal, and therefore we should still be able to tap into that resource. There's a fascinating story that's told about a fellow, a very wealthy individual had an inn, and one time it happened to be the Baal Shem Tov came to stay in his inn. After the Baal Shem Tov, he treated the Baal Shem Tov with great respect and dignity, after the Baal Shem Tov left, the Baal Shem Tov, before he left, he gave him an envelope. And he asked him, would you mind if to delivering this envelope to a nearby town and give this to the two people who happen to be the leaders of the community, if you can please give it to them. He said, sure, Baal Shem Tov asks, I'll do it. He puts it in his desk, but lo and behold, he forgets about it, gets busy with everything else. And time goes on. As time goes on, 17 years later, unfortunately, the wheel of fortune turned and this guy lost everything. And he's thinking to himself, what can I do? He's selling all his goods. He's selling everything he had. He's going through everything, all his belongings. He opens up his drawer and he sees that envelope that the Baal Shem Tov asked him to deliver. He's banging his head into the wall. He says, it's probably because I didn't listen to the tzaddik to deliver that envelope. I lost everything. 17 years later, the Baal Shem Tov is no longer alive. But he says, you know what? Maybe now I can go and deliver it. He goes to the nearby town and he asks Are these two people, the heads of the town, can I have to deliver, to deliver them? The people of the town look at him and said, what? How did you know that they're becoming the leaders of the town? Just today was elections. They were just elected to become leaders today. That's not what he's talking about. He said, the Baal Shem Tov told me I should give it to them. They're the leaders of the town. He brings them the letter. The fellows open up the letter and the letter says, the person bringing you this letter was once a very wealthy man. Time, his fortune has turned. And please help him out. The Baal Shem Tov saw that this person needed the help. He's going to need the help and already forewarned it. The words that are somebody at tzaddik or that God gives us a promise. The daughters of Tzalafchad understood and recognized. It doesn't make a difference what the sin was. They knew and they had to stress the fact that their father never did anything against the land of Israel. 
Should he have rebelled against the land of Israel because the, the spies said, we don't want to go into the land of Israel. The people of Korach said, what did Dustin and Aviram say? Not only did Moshe make himself a leader, but he never brought us to the land of Israel. They wanted to go back to Egypt. So therefore, the daughters of Tzalafchad had to be very clear and say, our father had nothing to do. He never negated the blessing. He never negated the fact that he would have a parcel in the land of Israel. And therefore today, we can still collect on that promise. But still in all, Rabbi Akiva has to tell us what was his reason of dying. What passed? What happened? And therefore Rabbi Akiva says, what was he? He was the one that collected the wood on Shabbat. That story happened a year and a half, a year and a quarter before the sin of the spies. His whole purpose was only to be able to educate the Jewish people. And they say, yes, we are here today not to challenge the law that God gave us, but we are demanding a change within the law, within the law, that we should be able to be part of the land of Israel. Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon says the reason was, he was from the people that wanted to go in the land of Israel, which this actually strengthens their argument, saying our father was not from the people who were not interested in going in the land of Israel. On the contrary, he risked his life to go. Maybe it was misjudgment on his part, but he wanted to go to the land of Israel. And therefore they are asking to go that the same way he was trying to fix the sin of the spies at that time, by going to the land of Israel, we want to be able to get his parcel in the land of Israel. But the question is, who are you going to give it to? Who are you going to give it to? There's no sons. Where do you get the strength to say, hello, God didn't say daughters should inherit. The law is that girls don't inherit. Who's going to decide today to say that you should get the land? You can have all the wonder, all the wonderful ambitions and excitement about the land of Israel. You can have all these wonderful excuses, but what's the law? This is what the law is. And that's why the lower courts didn't know what to tell them. God knew that your father had those great ambitions, but still in all God said, men get, boys don't. Uh, girls don't, I'm sorry. And that's why we have to look a little deeper into the words that these women used. And the Rebbe points out and he says, look at the words that they used. Lomo yigara. Why should we lose out? Who else used this terminology? The people, many years ago, when it came to the second Pesach, and the people were impure. And they didn't have a chance to bring the carbon Pesach the first time, the Paschal offering. And they come to Moshe and they say, Why do we lose out from having that connection with God by bringing the Paschal offering? And what does God come along and says, It makes a new provision. You can also bring the carbon Pesach about a month later. The same over here, these women saw. That in order to add a mitzvah to the Torah, in order to be able to continue to have the relationship with God, it's not about changing the relationship, it's about having a relationship. And just like those people who complained and requested and said, why should we lose out? We want to have that relationship by bringing the Paschal offering as well. And God said, okay, you got a job. You got it. So too, these daughters of Talafchat came along and said, why should we lose out? We're not coming to argue the halacha. We're not coming to say we don't want to follow the halacha. We want to be able to be within the halacha and be able to be close to God. We want to be part of the land of Israel and a Jew has the right and obligation to demand to be close to, be close to God. Such a type of demand, such a type of request is where 
overcomes all types of barriers and even new laws are made. That God comes along to Moshe and tells Moshe, yes, you know how can make a new halach and say, if there are no boys, the girls inherit. Munch mentioned this, a similar story of a well-known story about a couple who never had children for a long time. It was about 10 years. And they decided, being that they're married for 10 years and they weren't able to have children, they're going to go and get divorced. But before they got divorced, they wanted to go to the scholar of their time, was the great leader, great uh, Talmudic scholar, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai tells them, you know what? Being that you're getting divorced only because of a good reason, it's a Jewish law, so the same way you made a party to get married, made a party because you get, make a party because you're getting divorced. And they made a massive party. And the husband, of course, had a little more to drink. And while he was sitting there drunk, the woman who was there said, um, I'm sorry, the husband told her, his wife, he says, listen here. He was a little, uh, you know, inebriated. And he says, you can take one thing of anything you want, all yours. Take whatever you want. Take one thing and take it back home to your parents' house. So she says, okay, fine. So she looks at the servants there, to the people around, to the helpers. She says, okay, take my husband, bring him home. The morning they woke up, he's sitting there and, uh, in his, in his uh, in-law's home. And he says, what am I doing here? So she says, he said, I can take one thing that I want and there's nothing more important to my life than you. I won. They went back to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai and asked Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai, what do we do? I thought we were getting divorced. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai prays for them and they had children. So why couldn't Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai pray for them initially and they'll have children? Because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai wanted to bring out within the woman and the man the desire to be with each other. And only that brought in effect the blessing that they should have a child. The same idea also we find Rabbi Lazar ben Dudaya. Rabbi Lazar ben Dudaya was an individual who almost abrogated every sin in the Torah. There was no sinner in the world like him. But one time he went from a distant place and the woman tells him to be able to have an affair with a woman. And the woman said, why should I want you? Even the mountains, you have no luck, you have no repentance. I don't want you from you're a lost case. Allah ben Dudaya turned to all sides looking for somebody that's going to accept him. He said, nobody accepts me and he turns to God. And he cried and cried and cried until the soul left his body. And when Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the author of the Mishnah, heard this, he cried and he said, look, there's an individual who was able to acquire the world to come in just one moment. But why did Rabbi Yehuda Nasi have to cry? What did he care that Rabbi Lazar ben Dadai acquired the world to come in just one moment? What Rabbi, Lazar, what Rabbi Yehuda Nasi was saying is, look what you can do when you cry. Look what you can accomplish when you demand, when you ask, and it bothers you. Look what you can do when you can cry out to God. You can get someplace. In one moment, we are righteous people work their whole life. This is exactly what you find in this week's Torah reading. The daughters of Tzalafchat cried out to God and they said, Lomo Yigara, why should we lose out? They recognize a deficiency, they recognize a hurt. Their cry out to God was able to move the worlds and demand that God should give another mitzvah just like the Jews by the carbon Pesach. Which brings us to the following understanding. Number one, is that we have to recognize that women should study Torah as well. From the Hasidic teachings to the practical parts of it as well. But even more so. 
we shouldn't just accept the status quo. We should remember that if we cry out to God, and we really mean it and feel it, not we're looking to subvert or change, but we're looking to be connected in a deeper connection, God grants us our wishes. So as this week, we're going to be starting, on the, if Mashiach doesn't come, on the Thursday, it's going to be the 17th of Tammuz, which begins this three weeks of mourning. This is an opportune time for us to feel the hurt and request and ask of God, why should we lose out? We also want to have the Holy Temple. We want to have the Third and Holy Temple. And then we will be connected and God will give us and grant us our wish, whether deservantly or not.